0: Welcome to the Take 92 Podcast. This is Sammy Warmhands. I'm your host. And today I've got my good friend Isid from Fill in the Breaks and Crush Kill Recordings. He is a veteran MC producer from Minneapolis, Minnesota. You may recognize his appearances on my albums, Death of a Salesman, Bears Repeating, and Vacant Eyes. And he's got a tremendous body of work himself. We're going to talk about it beginning with our recap of South by Southwest. We've got this nice little tradition thing happening now for South by Southwest. And, you know, apart from doing the shows, we actually have a place where all of us stay. And it's, it's really cool to
1: yeah, to hang like, out
0: and actually spend time.
1: It's like a little rap house, you know. and Completely. For five minutes. It's amazing. And then I'm all, every time I leave, it's like, you know, you're excited to go home. But then later on, you're like, oh, damn. It's so fleeting. Yeah, It's so fleeting, you know, but, but it's great.
0: Um, it's kind of like one of those great days you have on tour, you know, where like you're out there and you're kind of on your own for a while. And then you run through some familiar territory and, you know, you stay with, you know, some good friends that you like only see while you're traveling in that part of the country. Yeah. you know, And then um, boom, done. Like, that's it. That's- yep. See you next year
1: it's a great life lesson.
0: It's rad though because like uh you know I see people this time of year always shitting on south by online and oh, saying yeah. like uh, I keep seeing a thing where they're like south by southwest is the reverb nation of music festivals like oh, damn. My friends, my friends like to throw that little barb out there. And that's that's fine whatever. But like for me I haven't actually done the regular south by experience of, you know, you pay to play on these big showcases and you do this whole thing for your 10 minutes or whatever yeah. you know we've been really fortunate in that kathy throws together these great crush kill showcases kathy
1: and, with and joey man it's all like joey is the man dude
0: yes joey alpha slot <laughs> musket yeah but yes and and they've they put this thing together every year and so it's like we can really just play our our little shows and then the rest of the time everybody just hangs out on the patio and and bullshits and and catches up and like yeah that, that's just shit that never happens on the road so I, I really cherish it
1: right I think yeah and I don't know look I, I'm somebody that's gone to south by I think the first time I went was in 2005 and yeah. at that point I like I had like no music career yet at that point I had just you know I was just trying to like figure out figure it out and I went there and I paid to get time to play on a stage and you know, it was at red gorilla fest or whatever. And that's what they do is they just charge people, you know, for a spot, but you know, it's prime real estate in one of the biggest music festivals. Like I get it. I get why they charge, you know, there's so many people that want a spot and they just want the opportunity, you know, so they, that, that's kind of where it's at you know i think a lot of people you just have to it's all on how you look at something you know if if you're going to south by to get discovered you're going to fail your trip yeah. isn't going to be fun you know and so you just have to take it for what it is and go yeah this is a this is a shit show it's kind of ridiculous now um i mean it's kind of always been ridiculous it's just it just gets crazier every year um you know but if you just go like Hey, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go play a couple shows. I'm gonna run into a bunch of people that I don't get to see that much, and just wing it. And then it's great, you know. You you have to have low expectations at South by. You can't go there thinking anything major is gonna happen, um, because it's just not. You know, there's a million people there, something like that. It feels yeah, like totally. a million, you know.
0: Yeah. It's 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 a life experience for me, you know. I don't I don't go anywhere thinking like, oh, this is gonna be my big break, man. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. That's not the world we live in, you know. No. I, I think it's just rad to be able to fly out, do some dates, and hang with musicians that like you would never get all of those people in one room because exactly. we're all from different different corners, you know. And yep. and uh, that's that's the cool thing about it. Like I remember three years ago when we were doing the uh, the first one. And, uh, that, that HBO show Sonic Highways was on the Dave Grohl. Yeah. And they had just done an episode on, on Austin. And they talk about the history of, of South by like, like right before I was going down there for the first time. And I was really ignorant about it. I had never been, um, I think I'd only played like one Texas show, maybe no two Texas shows by that point and never in Austin. So it it was really interesting to actually get the fucking cliff notes on it before going there for the first time.
1: Shit, I don't even know if I saw that episode. I'm like,
0: <laughs> what? Yeah, what? it was interesting yeah. for me to see all of that in an hour before flying out there to go to it, because I was, I was really just going in blind. Otherwise, I had no no expectations. Which is the
1: best way but, to go. Uh, I mean, that's... That's the ticket.
0: I mean, apart from that though, I just wanted to, you know, talk talk about your whole journey, your experience. I think that uh you know, we met in like twenty ten, I feel like right oh, after yeah. I had just met E and A, you were doing that tour with AWOL and Dark Time. Yes. I, I just have really fond memories of that show. Like I didn't even get hooked on them because I was just really drawn into your set and what you were saying. And I remember kind of talking to you the rest of the night, more so than watching the show and, um, you know, just kind of hitting it off. But you were one of those guys where um, I'd never heard of you, but, you know, digging back, you already had been building a body of work. Um, Yeah. So I'm just curious as to uh, how you got started. You know, what, what drew you to making music in the first place?
1: Man, um I mean, if, I, if you want to go, like, way back, you know, ancient history back. Yeah, let's back, go into it. It's kind of fun because, I mean, as a kid, I was, I was super into movies and basketball. Um, yeah. My, like, I, we were talking about it last week, you know. My grandpa owned a video store. Um, actually, maybe I was telling Brady that, and I didn't talk to you about it. But my grandpa owned a video store. So from a That's really, awesome. really young age, I spent a ton of time in this video store, like doing stuff there and just, and just watching all kinds of random movies. So I'm, I kind of know about, you know, early nine, early nineties, like B comedies. I've probably seen most of them because we had preview copies of all of them. Um, but I was super into that kind of stuff. Um, and then my friend Lamont, I feel like, so like, you know, fast forward a couple years later, I'm probably about 12 years old. And to that point, I definitely was listening to rap already. And I was super into like Nirvana at the time.
0: What, what rappers were you into at that age? Um, well,
1: what, I, what I'm thinking is if, if my memory serves me right, you know, it's like I, I had known of, of Ice Cube and young MC and a lot of kind of what was happening at that time. But, but I really, I, I didn't really know yet. And then my friend Lamont like lived down the road from me and he bar, he actually, he, he thought his, he like lived in a duplex and like the kids upstairs were like just some assholes and he thought they were going to steal his CDs. So he started keeping all of his CDs at my house and mind you, we were like 12 years old, but I got like, you know, Bone Bone Thugs and Harmony. Uh, nice. And like, I think he even had a Spice One album already, like Cypress Hill, Goody Mob, Soul Food, all these mid-90s rap classics, you know? And and so, I, I mean, I was into that stuff already, but there were a lot of them, a lot of these special albums that I hadn't got yet. You know, I, I just hadn't got there. And he just... You know, by leaving all these CDs at my house, it was like, oh, shit, now I've got all this. And so I think... That's awesome. That yeah, moment...
0: We, we, I feel like we all had a, somebody who was opening the, the doors for us, you know? Yeah, uh, dude. Like, like we, had a, we had an interest, and then there's somebody that's like the gatekeeper. Like, for me, it was Ogar That's that's like, oh, you like that shit? Well, here's fucking all of this wealth of stuff to catch up on and would make me mix tapes and shit. And then I'd go out and buy the CDs. Like, Oh, yeah. You know? That's a great experience. Yeah. And I mean, even before that, I had already
1: taken my mom's Nirvana tapes and like I had a Metallica phase around that time too. But it, but, but whatever happened, uh, basically after that point when Lamont borrowed me those CDs or or hid them at my house, I was completely awestruck with hip hop. I didn't look back. I don't think I looked back for 10 years. I I completely ignored anything that wasn't hip hop for a long time after that moment. I mean, I just, from then it was like a gradual progression of just like obsessively looking for everything I could find, you know? And then of course I started just writing raps for whatever reason. I just, I, I was just, completely immersed in in music i you know before that moment i was into like making skits you know like i said i was super into movies it was ju- i was super into basketball i wanted to play basketball that was like my that was my thing too and and it was like nope all that's done it's hip-hop forever and it was just like yeah this- I,
0: I had a similar like experience of of really being into to sports and all that team stuff growing up and I'd play football with my friends every day, you know, in the yard and that was our shit. And when we weren't playing football, we were playing Madden on Super Nintendo, you know. Yeah. And like we were just all about it. And then like one day I just heard an OFX tape and was like, what? Yeah. Fuck all of that shit. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. And it was just you know? over with. And and mind you, Lamont and all my friends from that that teenage era we all we all played dominoes and cards and basketball and all that but like hip-hop was just a huge part of our life i mean all we did was was i mean fuck man we just went down this this like gangster rap rabbit hole and just all my friends we were just like collectors of it just crazy about it it was looking back on it now um Maybe a few years ago, I would have made fun of myself, but now I'm like, God, that was cool. You know, we got really into a thing (laughs) like, and, and it's transformative.
0: Yeah. So you're, you're writing then still in like middle school age. You, you already start. I was, I was 13,
1: uh, I think when I wrote my first rap. So it was, you know, right around that same, you know, maybe a year later or, or so, and I remember like even, I mean, and what I did was I, I would take, you know, West Side Connection beats or E40, yeah. beat, you know, like all these different um, just rap beats from that time. Did you get them off like the B side of the tape or something? Yeah, or? the tape or, or the, you... mainly the C, I would get CD singles that had the instrumental. And so I had a boom box that had, you know, the CD and the dual tape deck. So I would record. Yeah. I would, you know, just record over the you know, have a little shitty mic in there. And it was, it was hilarious. I even, I even recorded songs in a talk
0: boy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I had Uh, one of those, the home alone talk boy. (laughs) Yep. It was fucking a, that's, that's great. Did you, were you guys like making your own videos and stuff too, since that was a big thing of yours or no, no, not at all. I wasn't, it was like, uh, I think
1: I, I wasn't even thinking about that yet because I,
0: Well, I I don't mean, like, music videos. I just mean, like, you you said you were really into, like, skits and stuff. Yeah, Um,
1: yeah. But that was, was like, uh, even earlier. I mean, I was probably, I was probably, I don't know, sometime, somewhere between the ages of 8 and 12, where um, my best friend at the time, or I don't even know how you really say it now, but my childhood, a childhood dear friend, who's still a dear friend to this day, Michael and I, and his sister like the family just had like a camera and so we would just like you know dick around and make all these skits and just we had there's tons of them i people from that that era of my life will call me like the hyper kid or they'll see me and be like oh my god you're in those videos you're <laughs> like <laughs> you know like <laughs> and 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 then i moved away well and then what happened was so i moved away so i stopped that, you know, that was what I would still maybe make those if I went back and hung out with them. Um, but for some reason, it just kind of, I just forgot about it. It was like, that was the thing I did. And then I just went on to the music thing and it just kind of like, um, strangely didn't really get back into that to where, to now, where now I'm like, oh God, remember that acting thing that
0: you kind of liked when we you were young? Maybe you want to yeah. do that now
1: you know like it's kind of funny
0: well to me it's all it's all linear like i feel like that experience of being creative and writing your own you know little skits and and filming them or like when you know when i was a kid and was doing that kind of stuff you learn to have to like edit things from like the camcorder to the vcr yeah. and like you know there's a little bit of a of a learning curve you have to you know fuck with to get through that and i i feel like that only informed me when i started um you know making music on some level like like i had i had figured out how to maneuver this equipment so i'm gonna fuck with my boombox and figure out how to you know hold the pause button to make a beat drop when it's recording or like you know little yeah, yeah. weird little things like that you know while you're while you're learning to to make music yeah man i love that so you're making these songs on your boom box yep. and, um, you know, is your first incarnation solo or are you playing with, with friends? Like, do you start performing? Do you start, and you know, how does this process go for you? Well, a lot of it, those, those first couple years, I'd say
1: from 13 to 16, it was just like dicking around. Like I'd, f- you know, we would like freestyle and, and whatever, you know, and make these little tapes with like my friend Vu and another my other friend Jeremy, um, who I'm friends with all these people to this day, you know, we might not hang out every day, but um, we were just more or less having fun, kind of dicking around with it. I was still kind of like a little shy about it, you know, so it wasn't like, I wasn't like going to school and being like,
0: yeah, you
1: know, check out my hot bars. You're not not, like life at the party
0: about it. You're just kind of doing it because you love it.
1: It was always more like a, I always feel like I was more like a painter, you know, like I want to just like make my stuff in my own little space cause at that time, a lot of it was so predicated on being social where like you're hanging out with your friends and you're writing raps and you're freestyling or whatever. Um, but then I think, you know, it hits a point where you want to like start to write things that maybe mean more to you, you know, but I wasn't even thinking about that yet. This early, this early era was, was strictly just like, Hey, dude, we hang out all the time. You should, you should rap too. Let's, let's just fuck around. You know, like it was just like the funnest thing ever to me.
0: And are you guys just doing like, I mean, you told me kind of what you're listening to at the time. Are you just doing like kind of battle rap bars, that kind of stuff? Or, or totally gangster. You know, what, what it are was you just talking about? gangster
1: raps. Totally. Yeah. You know, like a teenager would do. I mean, we were teenagers just like, just, being assholes you know it was oh yeah (laughs) so like everything is just like guns and guns and ganja and fucking money and whatever I mean yeah you know the the name Esid comes from this era because at this time I was Dice. I was, you know, I was Dice the Greedy Player, which is something that
0: yeah. <laughs> is pretty hilarious. I, m- I remember hearing that you at know? one point and, and like it had never crossed my mind actually where the fuck that came from.
1: Yeah, you know, totally inspired by all the like, because there was all these Bay Area rappers that had these really lengthy names, you know, like... You know, there's guys that were like rapping with people like Mac Dre. That would be like, you know, Eight Ball, the Mega, the Mega Jigga, or no, it's uh, uh, like JT, the the yeah, like J, JT the Bigga Figga. the Homo Sapien. Yeah, like JT the Bigga figure. I think that's the dude. That dude was awesome. <laughs> you know, like all these like elaborate names. So of course you had to come up with an
0: elaborate name, and I just was,
1: <laughs> it's funny.
0: And when did that become Isid? Then when did you reverse the letters? Well, so I kept going,
1: you know, we kept doing the gangstery stuff and I met a friend that that was actually a really dope ass rapper, um, you know, that kind of knew that I was, you know, I don't know. He knew I was into, into rapping and stuff. And so we started really making songs and I was about 16 and then we found people to buy beats from and we made this whole thing and, um, Are these like kids at school that make beats or where do you come Um, from? No, we actually, I found a guy that worked at a studio, a student named Nate, Nate Underwood who disappeared, but um, he made all these beats and I was just, you know, just buying them from him and he made them on an MPC and they're really cool beats for the time. And so we made this little group, you know, and and we made a little CD and, and it got like everyone at high school was like, Oh, this is awesome. You know? And, You know, I kind of, as you're a kid and you're, like, constantly changing and growing, you know, we made that and then got out of high school and I just kind of, like, realized that it wasn't the thing. Like, this is, this you know, this isn't how I want to make my mark, you know, like, making songs, like, glorifying, like, for lack of a better word. Ignorant shit. Yeah, but I don't (laughs) even want, yeah, yeah, yeah what was your group called? Like how, it was how called, long did that last? It was called Midwest Conspiracy. Oh yeah. Great name, right? Great name. Yeah. You know, and it just, I was too young and hot headed and the other dude was too young and hot headed and like in and out of jail. And like, it just wasn't going to work. And I realized it and I just, I I found a way to implode it and just run away from it. And, um, and then, I, and then I came – I was like, ah, oh, you know, I just – I flipped dice backwards, and, and that was ESID. And then even gimmically, like when I first started writing as ESID, I was doing all these backwards metaphors and shit. It was super <laughs> – it was super ridiculous. But, you know, I was 19, and just I just wanted it. I just
0: wanted to do it all, you know? So were you getting the itch to – Create your own sounds at that point Or is the early ESID stuff Are you still linking up with outside Producers
1: well yeah so yeah so kind Of what happened you know You know you got the the teenage kind of Revolution years and You know you're going through all these different Phases and stuff and and I Got to that point to where I was making my First project under ESID Which was produced by Um that Nate dude I mentioned um yeah and so what I started doing with him is I started bringing him samples. Yeah. And before that, I hadn't really done that. I, I was kind of, um, I just started doing it. I, I don't really remember what, you know, kind of ticked it off, but I think I just started, maybe I was hearing beats from him that were not quite what I wanted, or I just, you know, I was, I would find like a music on, on a, I remember I had to make a beat using the intro for I think it was I think it was the music from MGM Studios and so he chopped yeah. he chopped it up and he chopped it up really dope like he was really good at chopping beats and so I would you know I'd just find stuff like that like music from the Shining you know obviously like super obvious kind of like popular stuff at the time cuz I was kind of you know my knowledge base wasn't exactly that far, I was, you know, outside of gangster
0: rap, <laughs> I ain't know shit well, you, at the time. Yeah, and I think that's a lot of people's intro to, to sampling is just, you know, you're, you're around it, you're exposed to it, you start to understand, like, because as a listener, I don't think a non-musician, I don't think sampling even occurs to them most of the time. They're just hearing the song yeah. for what it is, you know, and the, the more you're around it, the more I think it starts to get your brain seeing other mediums that way and you're like oh that would make a dope sample like i could loop that fucking you know i i always think of that shit when i'm watching movies or whatever like you're saying you know you go from what you know first
1: yeah yeah and i knew movies and gangster rap <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly so that's that was the that was uh where where i was at at the time
0: you know um i mean honestly if you listen to my first couple records like i'm i'm sampling you know fucking Robert De Niro and Ice Cube, so I, yeah. I understand yeah. everything you've said so far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it was it was interesting.
1: But it's weird, too, because my writing always was in a different place. And, and that's not even... I don't, I don't know what I'm trying to say there. I'm not trying to toot my own horn. Don't get it twisted. But, you know, aside... Of, you conceited bastard. Yeah, a, a, you know, aside from all the, like, uh, you know, like, kind of, you know, small little little worldview at the time. Um, I th- I'm just saying maybe what kept me feeling like I could get somewhere was that I felt like my songwriting was kind of what was driving me. There was a desire to, to write interesting songs, you know, very early on. I just, I don't know if that was just because, I, because of my upbringing, being an only child, you know, with a single mom having all this time by myself to kind of, you know, I, I just naturally became a very reflective person. You know, kind of, you know, I can be super, super fucking extroverted, but then I can be really introverted if I want to be.
0: So, are are you when you were in that group? Were you playing shows and stuff, or was it really about the creative process? Even at that, yeah, point?
1: that was. You know, we were so young that wasn't like we didn't even. There was no show, uh, you know, We, I think we played played one show as that group. Um, Yeah. Maybe two. But, you know, I wasn't involved in the hip-hop scene at all at the time. Like, I just, I was... So you're just writing songs. Yep. Yep. I was just kind of an outsider. I didn't know anybody because I didn't grow up, like, right in the city. Especially during my teenage years, I was in an outlier suburb. You know, um, kind of a blue collar suburb, just a bunch of fucking, you know, like just a lot of people with idle time, I think, trying to figure out their shit. You know, so a lot of the people around me weren't really ambitious about it either. So there was just like this, I, I kind of, I realized that if I wanted to do it, I needed to, I needed to spread my wings and get the fuck out of there. Get entrenched in the community and start meeting people. And did you physically relocate to do that? um, Well, I went back to New Brighton, which is, I mean, well, actually, shit. I still had to live. I was still living in Blaine when I was going to, because I started going to production school too when I was 19, 20 or 30. It wasn't like I was that far out. But as a kid, it seems like, oh, I'm really far away. Yeah but you know my music school was in downtown Minneapolis and so I was I was just in that that area all the time and I started going to like Fifth Element open mics cuz this is when they did Fifth Element open mics was you know was that a weekly thing or a monthly it thing it was a, it was every saturday dude in like the early 2000s nice. this was like 2002 i think maybe 3 you know and so i started going that going to that to kind of that's really how i started meeting people
0: you know and then you'd meet yeah you're probably brushing shoulders with some amazing people in that room
1: yeah dude there's people in there that i mean i made friends (laughs) friends with so many people from that era that i still see to this day
0: and it's like holy shit you know what What's what's an average, I mean, Saturday night lineup of, of any name that someone would actually recognize? Oh, I mean, P.O.S. P.O.S.
1: would show up and do songs, you know, and he had already he had already been, his group, Sino Species, had a following. Like, he was already doing fine at this time. You know, he was only two years away from, I think, Ipecac Neat. So he was, if he did songs there, people got excited, but, like, Freeze – like, Luminous 3, they were super young. This dude, Boney Limburg, who, like, was really awesome. Ice Rod, he did, like, Ice Rod was, like, the best battler. He was crazy. And he actually did the um, the cover for By the Throat. And, like, he's a, oh. yeah, he's like a, so he, he did, like, the rap what, thing what's, for what's fun. What's his real name? Michael? Michael, yeah. Michael something? Yeah. He did this Ice Rod thing. He did Kill the Vultures, too, right? Oh, he did one of their covers? Holy crap. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Probably. because I've seen some of his art.
0: Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah,
1: man. I mean, Brother Ali would host it sometimes. Toki mainly hosted it. You know, and a lot of these guys at this time for me, because I was such a newcomer, I was so green, and I was just excited. I was just so, like, overwhelmed and kind of intimidated by the whole thing. Like, it took me a while to feel comfortable in that, that world because I literally went from like never knowing any of these people to just kind of like going to all this stuff. Are you a spectator
0: right out of the gate or are you participating? I mean, I definitely you know, participated. I
1: definitely started participating in those open mics, but I was always such a mess. You know, like I would do acapellas cause I felt better doing that, but I wasn't comfortable freestyling in that scenario it felt like a lot of pressure, dude, because every week it was packed. It was fucking packed. It was like, so you just felt like you had to bring it, you know. Um, but I, I participated, you know. I did my, I did, I did my thing, and I made, you know. I met, I met Mike Shank there. I reconnected with Mario uh, or David Mars, who was someone that I grew up with, like, er, like we went to kindergarten together, and then when I moved away. We kind of lost touch, and then he and I ran into each other at a Fifth Element open mic, and oh, that's awesome! And then, like, I've been really close with him ever since. You know, it has this very fond uh, place in my heart for for so many reasons because I met so many of my collaborators and just peers that I look up to and respect there. And
0: well, and I'd imagine on some level that that is also taking you out of your comfort zone, making you want to step up your game in a way, because you have been making this mostly for yourself. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. Um, I hadn't even, and, yeah. You know, hanging out with a couple friends and then you go out to there and you're like, Whoa, I'm not the only rapper I know anymore. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. It was, it was, it was
1: refreshing and, and
0: it's, it kind of,
1: I think it, yeah, it like freaked me out in the best way possible. And just seeing the way that rhyme Sayers did everything at that time, you know, and and I was a music school kid, so I understood how the music business worked. I was lucky enough to have another, like I had an older friend that worked at Cheapo that he taught me a lot of stuff about the business. Um, but but I hadn't witnessed someone doing it right yet. Yeah. So I was able to see that, and it kind of. In a lot of ways, it it always ruined me because I have always known like, okay, you need to do steps A through X or whatever. You got to do all these things. And if you can't do all these things, you're going to, you're going to miss out on certain things. You know, I hate to sound so vague, but when you see someone doing what you want to do so on point, it kind of makes you feel like you've got to, you've got to follow suit. Like, if you're gonna do it too, you should look at what they did and and follow accordingly, you know in your own way, but at least that's how I felt at the time. I was just like, "Damn, these guys are really doing this, like I gotta figure out how to do it like this
0: <laughs> yeah, completely i mean they're they're blazing the trail, yeah, and you're taking taking notes going, oh shit, like they're actually doing the thing that I." want to do like how the fuck can i get to where they are now you yeah know? like I, I remember uh uh there was a interview with slug saying something about how he felt it was weird how people want to get to where he is when he's watching kanye and trying to get where kanye is yeah at, you know uh, and uh, i think everybody has that you know those artists in their lives that are pushing them to whatever their next level is going to be you know
1: yeah dude and you know and so at this time i think it was 04 i put out a couple of projects like another ecid project one that i still don't count you know like it took me a while i just couldn't i just couldn't get comfortable um you know i th- i think i was i think early on i struggled because coming from the gangster rap background and then realizing like like that's not really gonna work for me, I mean, I'm like I'm a scrawny white dude, you know, from yeah, you know, just living in the burbs, like how the fuck am I gonna like portray this image of this thing you know and it and it's just not it's just not how you do it, you know, you gotta how are you gonna bring something to hip hop that hasn't been done, and i just i i just I was running into like the Eminem thing, you know, it's like, everyone's just at that time. It's like, Oh, fucking Eminem. Oh yeah. Yeah. Just like, and I kind of sounded like him when I was younger. And so it, I, I started trying to like find ways to change my voice and mask it and rap different ways. And I just, I just was never comfortable, you know? And it, it took me a long time to really get to that place. And I don't know if I, (laughs) I definitely am there now, but, You know, during that early era, it's like I feel like I would make one song in the tone that I like, and then the next time it would be, like, totally different. Like, I couldn't find that consistency because I was always just, like, coming up with – I was inventing a new thing every time I made a song, you know? Um,
0: Yeah, I think that's – I mean, at the time, and, and certainly the years immediately after it, you might look at some of these growing pains, yeah. you know, with a cringe or, or whatever. But I, I feel like, uh, you know, you and I have been doing this for long enough now where we can look back on those times and, you know, of course you question the things that were coming out of your mouth at one point, but like looking at it with a certain fondness of, of actually like, you can see the arc of finding your own voice yeah, totally. you know, in, in that period. And maybe we don't want to put online that shit that, you know, is from those those awkward years. But I, I think there's also something really magic about that in just being creative and trying every different style and genre and influence and, you know, and surprising yourself. Totally. Yeah, it's
1: I mean, that is the journey. It's been beautiful. Yeah. It just, it's crazy because as we're talking about this, I'm just like realizing like, damn, I haven't even thought about this time, you know, this time that much in a long, like it's been a while. Cause that era from like 2001 to about 2005 for me, um, it's just a fricking blur. I (laughs) Yeah. But that it was a blast. I mean, you know, from from going to the fifth element open mics, we started doing like hosting our own open mic and um Nice. You know, just little things like that. And um I'm trying to remember when I like first played at the Dinky Towner. I don't know if you ever got a chance. Did you ever get to go to the Dinky Towner when it was open in Minneapolis? No. Oh man. I'm not familiar. Yeah, and that was like another that was like a mid two thousands hip hop like hub in minneapolis cuz uh unicus of cancer he did he did this uh weekly event called the hookup like chuck you did all the he did all the like flyer art for it and um it was a big deal and so like every saturday oh. every saturday would be like this big freaking show you know i mean carnage definitely played a million of those you on on any given Saturday, you could see the crest and cancer and fucking unknown prophets and 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 maybe somebody from Rhymesayers. Who knows, man? It was it was a mixed bag, but a lot of a, a lot of touring acts were coming through. You know, I remember like I met Quell that way, I met Awal One that way, I met nice. so many people through the hookup at the Dinky Towner because it was like. Um, it was just the spot that everybody went to. Um, I did, you know, the bio graffiti release show was there with Carmen Carousel and I think carnage
0: played that show you know, too, you know, like, like we, I, I was thinking it might've been actually mentioned now, uh, that I I'm hearing you say the name a few times that that place might've been mentioned in the, uh, in the world has no idea documentary.
1: Yeah. Cause I think they talk about coaches in it and those guys did like, a. They did like a coach's night or something at the Dinky Towner because I remember going to one of nice. them like before I knew either one of them, you know. Um, yeah, what a crazy time, man. Minneapolis hip hop was insane back then. I mean, it's still insane now, but there wasn't as much of a spotlight on it, I guess, you know, so there was just such a... Well,
0: yeah, I mean, you were you were in it and I was, you know, thousands of miles removed from it, but like a lot of the the artists that got me into rap music, you know, uh aside from, you know, what I was hearing from Beastie Boys and Run D M C and Sugar Hill Gang and you know the old school stuff, um, you know, the first like real relatable shit that I heard was, you know, RhymeSayers and, you know, Sage and stuff like that and Aesop, yeah. you know, where as far as I was concerned, where where rap was currently uh you know blowing up it was twin cities you know and um like i all my friends l- listened to you know atmosphere and ENA and thought that that was the greatest shit ever invented you know um at the time so like uh, it's it's interesting for me to hear from someone who was coming up at the same time but kind of in the heart of it and seeing it all around yeah me. yeah and i mean all those
1: guys were already i mean by 2005 i mean i then, you already missed it. Oh, I yeah. mean, I kind of missed it. I didn't get to see them like really like build it. You know, like I got into the hip hop scene like kind of right after I feel like rhyme sayers really established themselves. It would have been really cool to be there in like ninety nine, you know, to just to kind of witness a yeah. lot of a lot of that, that groundwork that was that was happening. But but I'm I'm glad I'm glad to have been where I was at when I was, you know, it was cool.
0: I had a good view. Now you mentioned you, you mentioned Chuck U. you. You said he was hosting those events, is that? No, he
1: did uh he did the flyers for him. He did the yeah. art. Okay,
0: cuz I know he's one of your long-time art collaborators. Yeah, totally.
1: Yeah, I mean, he did. First art he did for me was on a project from 04 which is crazy. Is that bio graffiti or no? No, that was uh one that I did called 1983. And then there was this other group that I had with a friend of mine uh, named Nomad, that he did the art on that. And at the, but at the time, Chuck's art was a little different. He was doing more like uh, collagey, like cut and paste kind of stuff, more sampley. Yeah. And he was rapping and like the he ra- like he made a rap album like in like two thousand two. You know, like it's fucking yeah. Oh wow, um, I had no idea. But I think he might have already been done by. By oh four, oh five. I think he was kind of he really wanted to focus on art, and then it kind of from there, you know, every year he got better and better and built his thing, you know.
0: So this uh this school that you're going to at that time, you said you were learning audio production. Is that yeah, right? I went
1: to IPR, the Institute of Production and Recording, and it was it was founded by um Tom Tucker. And a couple other people, I'm kind of spacing on the names right now. So f- that's the news anchor from Family Guy, as far as I'm <laughs> <concerned>. <laughs> I don't
0: well, Tom know. Tom Tucker owned
1: <laughs> Master Mix, and Master Mix was like a really prestigious studio. They had an SSL console and were like big shit. And and okay. these guys opened All this right. place, and there was a, uh, you know, members of Prince's band were involved. You know, so there was always this like kind of prestige based around that. I mean, I had a class with Chan from the freaking replacements. I met the guy from wow. yeah, like, you know, they they really when that when that school opened, I feel like they grabbed a lot of like, you know, Twin Cities musicians that had careers behind them and had, you know, had some success so they could really like kind of mentor kids it was only a year program, though, but it was a production program, and they kind of, they taught you mixing, too.
0: That's got to be really liberating to go through there and have been making, you know, making your own cassettes and whatever, yeah. and and then all of a sudden have an experience with these people who actually have years in the industry to to share with yeah. you and and give, give you the tools to be actually a DIY artist. Totally.
1: No, and I mean, I even cuz when i started going to that school i got grant money to go to the school and then um i got like my first credit card so i got my first computer and then i got an inbox. and that's all i needed and then i had a friend yeah and like this is like the luck the lucky world that i've been able the lucky blessed world that i've been able to live in cuz at the same time i got that computer a friend of mine that you know he had bought a bunch of music gear and he cuz he wanted to build like a studio and then um you know he was a dad and he kind of just decided like he wasn't going to use it and he knew how passionate i was about it and he kind of offered it to me at like the super discount price and so i jumped nice. on it and it kind of just all of a sudden you know i had this gear and actually, what's funny is I got that. I got the gear, like my studio. It was like studio monitors, a Roland 1680, what do you call it? Multi track recorder. I got a, a mm-hmm. Korg Trinity, the keyboard before the Triton. Nice. Um, and I think one other thing, oh, I got some, I got Tech 12s too out of it. Like he just hooked me up. Wow. And he was just like, just keep me in the loop, man, you know? Um. And so I, I really took that as like a, oh man, like I got to do something with this. And I had no idea how to use any of the gear. So actually kind of, in a way, uh, backwards a little bit. I got all this equipment before I even started going to school. And so I was was trying to mess around with it. I just had no freaking idea what I was doing. Like, I just didn't understand the mechanics of music equipment at all. You know, I was just like to that point just a little guy like to rap you know and but I had an ear for
0: for beats um and so I was struggling so the school is really is is really like you're you're backing up your investment at this point you're like okay I got all this shit now let's let's fucking yeah. learn yeah, how to exactly. do it yeah <laughs> exactly that's kind of what happened it was like well
1: I need to figure out how to use this stuff you know so then I went to school to to learn it and and while I was going to school then I got a credit card to get my first computer and an Mbox All I did, you know, I, I got records from all of my friends, dads, and I just started shopping samples and I just didn't look back, you know, and
0: so what, what year is this that you're making beats now? This is oh three. Okay.
1: You know, so kind of uh, the same time that, that I'm starting to make beats is, is kind of when I'm going to the fifth element, open mics and stuff, um, you know, and meeting you know, meeting Mike Shank and reconnecting with, with David Mars and, you know, and just meeting other people in the scene, Ernie Rhodes and, um, out of bounds, all these different kind of people that were really influential to me in those early years. Um,
0: you know, so, so did that go then to collaborations or did that just continue to inform your, your, self-produced solo work that you were working on no i
1: mean i definitely i mean like i mean shank and i made a ton of songs together um and same with with me and mario um like out of bounds a lot of these other guys we never really made songs but we played a lot of shows together which was just as good you know we just um there was a very very good camaraderie and kind of our own little you know we started to kind of build our own little little scene within a scene i guess you know, um, as as any as any artist does, trying to find find their niche and lane and shit.
0: Yeah, that's a gr- that's a great time, man. When you you find who you like to play with, who inspires you to get up on stage every night. You yeah, know, and start to carve out your own little niche in this thing that you know maybe a year ago you were just watching from the outside. You know, that's a really fun. Well, time. and kind
1: of what happened to me in this same time period, because cause, so mind you, you know I had. In '02, I had released this first ESID thing, um, that just wasn't the thing yet, you know? Um, but that was kind of the only music that I had to really show for myself at that point. So as I'm meeting people, you know, th- you know, a year later or something through school and, and going to open mics and, you know, playing shows here and there, um, my style at the time you don't want to give them your, your other i didn't shit. want to give them my other shit but if i'm playing a show that's yeah. <laughs> what i'm i'm having to play and so um yeah i think it's it. it it turned a lot of a lot of people really like gave me a cold shoulder for a long time because when i started coming around i was still so undeveloped and weird you know i just you know that's just what it was you know but but my friend Caesar from Out of Bounds, I played this, this huge 420 show at the Red Sea with him. Um, it must have been, I think it was 2002, maybe 2000. It might have been 2003, whatever. It's in that era, you know, and I played this show with him. And he, at the end of the night, I mean, he was an amazing rapper. And he was just like, hey, man, I think what you're doing is really cool. It's really different, like... You know he probably, he probably said something like, "I don't think you're all the way there yet, but you know, he gave me his number and just like was, you know, kind of has been somebody that's always been in my corner ever since, and um, it always meant a lot to me and kind of I mean at that time, I mean, shit, dude, there's very few people in Minneapolis that were better at rapping than Caesar from out of bounds. You can ask Carnage about that one, and he will agree. Yeah, yeah. he was, was and is. I mean, I, the group Literati that we put out an album for on Fill in the breaks. Oh yeah. yeah, Caesar is the like is, is the like metronome rapper in that group. You know, just that guy has got an amazing flow. You know, he, like, his it, it sucks that like now if someone hears him, they probably go, oh, it sounds like Yellow Wolf. But like he was doing that. so so many
0: years before Yellow Wolf, you know? Fucking 15 years ago. (laughs) It that shit, you know? I mean, either... Whether it's someone who... That you look up to, or even just another artist that you meet, I think that, you know, getting that praise from someone who's in there and doing it, as opposed to, you know, we love the feedback from from the audience every night, but, like, it, it really does take you somewhere especially when you're a little green and you're finding your voice and you know you're kind of still figuring it out you know when you hear somebody who's who's out there doing it it gives you a little push that like yeah dude you're going the right direction that you know that that's a big confidence oh yeah
1: for sure yeah it was it was huge what a what a crazy exciting time that was
0: (laughs) so tell me about your first self-produced solo work yeah thing. yeah because I mean, even what's the trajectory because now we get into the body of work that people actually uh will probably yeah know. so
1: you know so there's all these kind of things you know uh you know before i even produced my own self-produced fully self-produced thing i had done a project for mike shanks group sector 7g i had done um this other thing with my friend nomad you know and and so i and I had done that 1983 project kind of all at the same time. And the 1983 one, I had done like, I don't know, maybe five or so beats on it. And I got beats from another guy for most of that. Um, and so come coming into Bio Graffiti, that was kind of like, you know, a couple years after, you know, I had now been making beats for, let's say, a solid two or three years. That's it? At that time, it felt like I had already been at it for so long. But now looking back, I'm like, like legitimately, I mean, I went to, I was in music school for a year. And in that time, yeah, wow. (laughs) Whatever. So it's just kind of (laughs) bizarre to me to think about. Like, you know, I made that album only having been producing for like two, maybe three years. Idea mixed it. You know, and and one of my favorite moments of that process was just the, just the fact that you know I was so because I was a music school guy and I appreciated you know the the mixing end of it. You know, he and I just broed down for a couple days on the mixing end of it. You know, just dorking out about different techniques and you know I'll, I'll never forget him That's saying awesome. like that that record sounded like old Dell to him. You know, um, nice. yeah, just like, and he's like, it's funny too. Cause at that time he was like, oh man, this should have came out on a, on a cassette and like, you know, had he <laughs> known yeah. that now like cassettes are kind of cool again, but that should come yeah, around. It's kind of funny. Um, that's funny. Shank and I had done another project called living stereo. That was kind of the, and living stereo was kind of like the, where I, Oh, it was like, Oh, they're almost there now. Um, And that was in 2005. I produced that whole project. And that was the first project where I felt like my beats were starting to have, they were starting to form, you know, like a a a definition, a sound. And so we played a show with capacity and carnage, actually, that idea came to. He ended up telling carnage, like the next day or something, that he thought we were dope. Nice. Carnage like called me and idea wanted, wanted me to tell you guys you're, he thought you were dope. And he, and he was like really enamored with what, what Mike was doing at the time. So he kind of invited him over to rap and shit. And, and he kind of liked what we were trying to do with the project and wanted to help us like record the final, the final version of it. Cause we had done like demos at, at my place on kind of a subpar setup um,
0: of you yeah. and Shank.
1: Yeah. And so yeah. we ended up doing this whole project at his, at his spot at ENA studios. Nice. Yeah. And it was, it was a crazy experience because it was still when I was kind of trying to find my voice as a rapper and he gave me like, like some of the most priceless pointers that just like, change the game like he gave me these pointers that kind of were the blueprint for like how i you know made sure that my raps were were dope enough on the bio graffiti album you know like like i yeah. think that i mean that was like meeting him and getting to kind of have the experience to get to know him and have him and know you know know him as a friend and all that it was like having somebody that that really that you know it's like he he knew what what i was going for what mike was going for and he and he kind of believed in it he saw we were we were rough around the edges but like he just was open to helping us kind of get there you know and that doesn't happen often where someone <laughs> is in a position where they've they've found a lot of success they're really talented and they're willing to like kind of um you know, show somebody else the way like that that really like to that point we really had no we didn't have anything to show for ourselves, like there was no like he
0: didn't have to
1: do anything, you
0: know everybody's idea story is always like he's able to see the the potential in you like almost before you can even see where you're going, yeah, you know? for sure he would just would help people like he would just guide them on you know where they were already going uh, before they could even see it you know i think like all of us if we think of like the music that that he heard when we were first introduced you're like how the that record really you know like that's the sh- okay cool like i don't know what what you exactly saw there but yeah i'm glad you did <laughs> totally no
1: he's i mean he 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 really liked the songs that we were doing, too. The stuff with Shank, you know, it was cool for what it was. And I think, I mean, we could have done more projects like that. But then I think there was, you know, bigger picture, like, oh, we're going to do, you know, I mean, Saturday Morning Soundtrack was only a year after that, you know, so it's like, <laughs> yeah, I was going <laughs> to ask, kind but I wasn't
0: sure about, you the know, time there line. was
1: all this stuff just kind of, you know, I was just, I, they called me a machine back then, because I mean, all I ever did was make beats. I just fucking, I didn't do anything else, which is another one of my like kind of maybe early career kind of, uh, pitfalls was that I, instead of going out and just socializing with everyone when we were like, you know, 22 years old, like that's what you should do. You should be hanging out with all your musician buddies and building stronger bonds. But I was just like, fuck it. I'm in the studio, bitches. That's all I cared about was just making stuff like I was gonna die tomorrow. So just,
0: I'm guilty of know, that to this day. Just kept. And well, and what you say there that I'll die tomorrow? I'm like paranoid enough about what I create that like I have all these folders up on my desktop at all times that like. This one on the bottom left is the EP I finished. This one on the bottom right is the one that uh you know, I'm still tracking for my band and this one up here like I literally just have all my unreleased projects like up at all times like this is the yep, stuff, yep. you know. I don't know. It's a weird paranoia thing, but hey,
1: I got my <laughs> I I've got like a, I've got Toyfriend and and my new record like the folders are on my desktop like they're like for sure i'm like that until the project is out and done it's definitely on the desktop like in your view like can't look away from it like you've gotta you know gotta stay the course with this i mean you should see shit dude you should see my desktop on my laptop right now it's just all it's all like you know art files that i've been you know sussing out and all this stuff for the new project you know um it's just a mess
0: i i know (laughs) what I'm feeling man it's it's yeah it's it's a beautiful nightmare yeah um so let's okay you mentioned saturday morning soundtrack that's that's uh uh you said about a year or so ahead yep yep um so that's you and shank and capacity and christoph crane yeah um So, yeah, tell me a little bit about that record. I I really enjoyed that one. I think that's probably the earliest one of yours that I own, I want to say.
1: Yeah, so, like, kind of as I'm making Bio Graffiti, it might be, I don't know, maybe, let's say it's half done. I can't really remember, but I had met Chris through Mike, uh, or through Idea Mike, obviously, and... You know, we kind of bonded over both not liking rap battling and shit. You know, and at the time, this is like post-8 Mile. Like, battle rap is huge at the time. You know, so we really bonded over not being into that. And we just kind of kept in touch. You know, we we made, we made the song Mud for Bio Graffiti. I feel like it wasn't too long after that to where I just, I had wanted to do a project for a while, you know, because at this time I was really into Company Flow and and all the stuff Def Jux was doing and and uh Deep Puddle Dynamics and just all of that abstract kind of um, you know, underground hip hop, experimental stuff. Yeah, and I wanted to do a project like a like a, you know, like Dino Spectrum, like a four rapper kind of project, and I picked the people at the time that that I knew that i felt like were like the rawest, like the dope like like to me that was it. Like i loved all those guys um on every level. And so yeah, it's a so great I really wanted to like convince them like hey, we should make let's do this album together, you know? Um i'll produce it. And so i got all those guys to meet up with me for lunch. Um and I just remember sitting in my car at the time and listening to beats and just kind of like talking about it and saying like, like I don't know if, if if it was my idea or if it was me and Shank together coming up with it, but like we had kind of, you know, one of our, our main credos was that it couldn't be like, we couldn't reference hip hop at all. There couldn't be any references to like, fuck that rapper or like no battle rappy kind of stuff could be mentioned that was like the only rule that there was for the project
0: so it's your anti-hip-hop record kind of
1: yeah during a time when guys like us were like kind of looked at like assholes because we weren't ultra hip-hop even though we were ultra hip-hop i don't know it's it's whatever i don't want to get into that
0: I, I get it though. It's it's a it's a reaction to a certain yep. climate, and you guys try to do totally. something different. And uh, and so
1: we started meeting up. Like I think it would. I think it was like a couple Saturdays a month. I mean, it didn't take. I mean, we made that album over. You know, like the course of I think ten months. You know, maybe a year. You know, the like the song with the the two songs with ideal were made in the same session at the end i think that was the last song we did there was one other song that's a that's a good closer yeah for sure shit is where he's (laughs) on the hook yeah that that hook is great god if only we could if we could do something like that song now it would be like so insanely dope oh my god you know like now that we're all
0: seasoned that would have been so cool all right, that is the end of part one with Isid. We've got a whole nother hour on the back end of his catalog, all the really good, exciting stuff. This show drops every other Tuesday, so that'll come out in two weeks. You can check it out on your podcast app or at take92.libson.com. And if you're feeling it, rate us on iTunes. Give us some love. I'm going to leave you with a track we were just discussing, Saturday Morning Soundtrack. Play Dead Till They Kill You, featuring Idea, the late great legend. The song will be stuck in your head all fucking day, promise.
1: Embedding the strings can bring a great deal of rethinking But once they're installed, you wouldn't even need to think Let alone live for that matter There's an automated set of hands Pulling on every strand So demand as much as
2: robotically possible It'll understand, I promise, they're honest Not to mention something God wish he thought of When he fooled earth into thinking he adopted it Accomplishment's a pathological lie Baptized by that belief in at least you fucking tried Compliance isn't required, but highly requested They've invested in your senses And all they ask of you is your pride It all comes down sometimes Day. No matter how it's built, eventually it breaks away. Nothing is made to last. Not even the life you hold in your fragile hand. Hold on, while you can't, let go of what you have till the end of this travel when her flaws unraveled together to make a more magnificent mistake expired in one tired self a slave to the day of being hired help trying to stay awake at the wheel of life feelings. so you can't see my true feeling my skin peeling off the body where i'm leaking relieving my inner insecurities i surrender all my honesty and render quality. Over me A picture painted to imperfection My inner struggles teach lessons I don't smile Another season, blowing sun, taking the wind out of my sails, braille, wretched blind spot, now we see eye to eye, cross roads, cross the line, pull me on your cross and watch me die, cast metal plate, finish before prayer and father rate. prostate, long-living prosper before mom's awake, I'm a saint, you're a sinner, you're an angel, I'm a drinker, I don't wanna move, I don't want you to be a better kisser. I hate you just the way you are Less freedom, more fanatic Every sun is not a star Let's be blood brothers, mayhem, scarred Find yourself and I'll find me And pretending I'm who you are Dead space Can't cover up the underlying message That you feel inside yourself. blame Isn't it a shame? Pain feels so much like me Unlikely, yeah, I know, but I'm a frightening Look at what could be Timing is all crooked So I'm hoping we can reach To the point where we strain and struggle And fucking blame the puzzle for what we created in the haze of a subtle reaction. I'm not laughing, ready yet I'm asking for the presence of passion. I detach when you seem most interested, which is the reason that you're so distant a compliment is just another selfish way for me to say I hate your guts for making what I couldn't make, see, guilt can't be traded, only reproduced, and the only fair exchange is when no one is accused see, I have to be the sun to cast judgment on the weeds, I have to be the light shining through the leaves on the trees, I have to be the stream to really see the reflection that I make out of belief, to put my needs in the direction, see, I, I love life, I just justify the side effects I don't know what to do with myself lately, I wish the sky would eat me whole, oh, so call me names and you can call me out, but just because you have a mouth, doesn't mean you need to keep it close. I take it personal, I took a chance. I only have a journal, so when I die, that I get respect. See, I only feel this way, so I can write it down, honest. Gotta swear that the clutch of calm and withdrawal. I've been so caught up in what I'm making, wiping the dust off my ambition that I almost forgot about the world that made me sicken. And the more I fool myself, the more this past seems safe. I'm an actor by nature, traveling in blank space, territory, life. The life's a story, Um permitting me. The planet is flat, and I am living on the edge of this fairyland, because A lot of things that I can do when I get lost I don't need an audience to remind me that I'm flawed Tomorrow's this is far away, yesterday is gone But it's okay, I got new face and makeup And we'll fight and make up and we'll fight and make laws And we'll fight and break laws and we'll fight and break us I don't smile, cause you're not I don't play